Thanks to Raycon Wireless Earbuds for supporting today's podcast. Raycon Earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And while this special deal is running, you can get 15% off at buyraycon.com slash gold. Well, I got to start this podcast by addressing the elephant in the living room. In fact, if you haven't already read about this or heard about it, I was the subject of really what amounts to a hit piece, a hatchet job on a a broadcast network in Australia. Australia 60 Minutes and a companion article that came out basically authored by the same people that produced the TV show Uh, a publication called The Age. This came out on uh, Sunday Night Australia. And basically, the whole thing is defamation against me. I mean, I really couldn't believe uh, what these guys did. Now, I knew that something bad was going to happen because of the way they uh, defrauded me into agreeing to sit down with them for the interview Uh, that I'm shown eventually storming out of. Now, I don't want to really get into a lot of those details on this podcast because I just finished recording a special YouTube video specifically addressing the fake news and the fraud surrounding uh, that uh, 60-minute show and the newspaper story that came out and lots of other stories that have now come out since that story first broke. So I don't want to talk about it now. I want to make sure and encourage everybody to listen or watch my YouTube. So it's not uh, a podcast. It is a YouTube video. We are in the final editing stages now. It should be out uh, certainly by tomorrow on Thursday. And you want to make sure and watch the whole thing as quickly as you can. It's about an hour and a half, but you definitely want to listen to the whole thing. It is extremely compelling and powerful, and I build an incredible case. In fact, I think you'll actually want to watch this thing a couple of times, even though it's uh, about 90 minutes in length. Now, I would suggest that a lot of people make a copy of this uh, video because I have a feeling that they may, in fact, file a copyright claim with YouTube to temporarily get it removed because I am reproducing some of the footage that they use. Now, it's a small amount, maybe a couple of minutes in total of like a 40-minute show. So I'm sure ultimately YouTube is going to allow it based on fair use, Uh, but they may try to slow down the momentum of the story, even though I already see other people who are copying the content and they're not complaining, they're going to want to complain about mine because it totally blows uh, their whole story away and shows it for what it is. So, you know, try to look at it quickly before it gets taken down and disappears for a while and eventually resurfaces. Now, maybe they won't take it down because personally, I think it actually makes them look worse if they try to file for a copyright infringement. I mean, the one that should be complaining is me. 
I should be complaining to YouTube. The whole thing is fake news. The whole thing is fraud. It shouldn't even be allowed on the platform, especially since they really didn't legally have my consent to use any of the footage, to use uh, the information. And again, I'm getting into that aspect of it in this uh, video that will be coming out on my YouTube channel. And again, I suggest that not only everybody watch the video in its entirety, but share it, right? Especially if you happen to live in Australia, because I think what I have to say is going to be particularly relevant for Australians, especially because of what is actually going on here. The real purpose behind the hatchet job on me, it really wasn't about destroying me. It was about destroying individual liberty and freedom in Australia, because what I really think is that I was just, you know, a, a pawn that they sacrificed uh, in a broader political chess game. And I, in fact, I developed uh, this idea as I started to see the way the Australian media was reacting to the story. Because initially, I, I just couldn't understand why this reporter, Nick McKenzie, you know, had it out for me. I mean, I couldn't understand why this guy felt it was so important to take me down that he would defame me, that he would spend so much time and effort to manufacture this story about me, despite the fact that he had plenty of evidence to show that everything he was saying was untrue. It wasn't just that he couldn't substantiate his allegations. I could prove that his allegations were false and he should know they're false, but he was pursuing uh, the story anyway. And I I couldn't understand what was behind uh, this effort to take me down until I realized that he really didn't care about me. Again, I was just collateral damage. I think what was really going on, and this is why it is so important for Australians to watch this. And I really didn't, you know, spend too much time on this angle in the video itself. I mean, I kind of mentioned it briefly because I discovered it along the way. And then I didn't want to redo the whole video that I already shot to focus in on this angle. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this is far more important than what they're doing to me. I mean, what they're doing to me is bad, but what they're doing to Australia, well, that's much worse. Because here's what I think is the real motivation. I think that there are some politicians in Australia that have a legislative agenda. What they really want to do is introduce new sweeping regulations in Australia, anti-money laundering regulations. But again, this is really aimed at tax avoidance, right? Whenever they talk about money laundering, they don't care about drugs. They don't care about terrorists. They have redefined tax evasion as money laundering, right? And it's not really money laundering because, again, what is money laundering? That's when you earn money illegally and now you have to clean it up, right? You launder it to generate a legal source and then you pay taxes on it. In fact, people who are laundering their money want to pay taxes on it, but they don't want to pay taxes on their drug money because then they're going to get busted for being a drug dealer. So they have to find a way to launder the drug money to some legitimate source so they can pay taxes on it. When you have tax evasion, generally the money is earned legally. You're just trying to hide it from the government so you don't pay taxes. Now, I'm not saying that that's not, you know, you should do that. I'm just saying that it's not money laundering. It's tax evasion. But 
if all these laws, if the purpose of these laws was to crack down on just tax evasion, they wouldn't enjoy nearly as much political support is when you start talking about drug dealers and terrorists and stuff like that. So I think what's happening is they're trying to crack down on tax avoidance, tax evasion in Australia, and they're probably getting ready for some serious tax increases. Australia already has high taxes. They probably want to make them higher, but they want to make it harder for people to avoid taxes. So I think this is the plan that some politicians worked up, and I think they were working in tandem with this guy, Nick McKenzie. Now, I don't have any hard evidence of this yet. Now, I have filed a defamation lawsuit, or rather, I'm in the process of filing one. It hasn't been filed yet, but I've engaged an attorney down in Australia for the purpose of doing this. We've already asked that they preserve all their records and emails and everything like that. So maybe as we get farther into a potential defamation lawsuit, I may be able to get the hard evidence that would confirm what today is just a suspicion. But I think that people in the Australian government were working with this reporter uh, on a joint effort to try to create the public support and the legislative cover to pursue this new regulation. So I think some information from the Australian government was leaked to this guy, Nick McKenzie, so that he can do a hit piece on me. And the idea was to make me and my bank, Europe Pacific Bank, look really, really bad. Like we're this rogue bank, uh, we're dealing with all these drug dealers and terrorists, right? We have no compliance, right? We're just, we, we have, we're just a terrible, terrible bank, even though there's no evidence that's at the case. I mean, we're, we're not a bad bank at all. We're probably far better than most banks, right? But the reason that they wanted to make my bank look really bad is because I do do business with a lot of reputable uh, firms, individuals, companies, banks in Australia, and the point that they wanted to make is, hey, here's these Australian banks or these Australian companies or lawyers that are working with this horrible, terrible uh, uh, bank, Euro Pacific Bank, run by this terrible person, Peter Schiff. And this means that we need more regulation on Australian banks, on Australian lawyers. I mean, because they can't regulate me, right? I I'm not in Australia, but what they can do is regulate people in Australia, businesses in Australia that may want to do business with me or anybody else for that matter. And so I think this was a coordinated effort. They didn't care if they had a lie about me to turn me into the poster boy for this political campaign because what tipped me off to this is the day after this piece came out about me, all of a sudden I'm reading article after article that is using relationships that Westpac Bank had with me or the Perth Mint or a lawyer. They're taking these relationships and they're saying this is proof that we now need all this new regulation. All, you know, in fact, what they want to do is they want to, in addition to stricter regulation on Australian banks, they want to now for the first time apply all the anti-money laundering regulation to professionals in Australia, accountants, lawyers, real estate agents. They want to turn all these guys into basically government spies so that they have to spy on all of their customers looking for any suspicious activity. 
And then if they find any suspicious activity, well, they got to turn the suspect over to the government. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, first of all, not only is this going to run up everybody's costs, I mean, the main reason that it costs so much money for me to operate my bank is because I have to comply with all these anti-money laundering rules, which I do. I comply with all of them. That's why my bank is so squeaky clean. That's why you're not going to find any problems at my bank. But it costs a lot of money to stay squeaky clean. Well, it's now going to cost, if these new regulations get passed, it's going to cost accountants and lawyers and realtors in Australia a lot of money to comply with these new AML laws. Where are they going to get that money? Well, they're going to have to raise their prices that they charge all of their customers. And obviously, that's going to put them at a competitive disadvantage. What might happen is people in Australia, you know, they may start hiring accountants that aren't in Australia. And so maybe they're not going to be required uh, to comply with these laws. And so their prices might be lower. But think about this for a second when it comes to your lawyer, right? Your lawyer, there's supposed to be some kind of attorney-client privilege. Well, apparently, they want to completely do away with attorney-client privilege if the information that your attorney gets is that you may be avoiding your taxes. So can you imagine every lawyer in Australia being required to spy on their clients And if they suspect that their clients may not be 100% honest on their taxes, they need to turn their client in to their government? I mean, is that the kind of country that Australia wants to live in, where the lawyers are spying on their own clients and then turning them into the government? And if they don't turn them in, they can get prosecuted themselves? I mean, this is horrible. You know, I mean, I might have been sacrificed in this game, but the real losers are going to be the Australian public if they are duped by fake news into accepting this new legislation. Because that's really what's going on, right? The government has planted this fake story. They have turned my good bank, right, that doesn't have any problems, into this horrible institution that's banking organized criminals and drug traffickers, right? And there's all these Australians supposedly using my bank, they're saying I'm at the center of the biggest money laundering tax evasion scheme in the history of the world, my little bank in Puerto Rico. And all of it is being masterminded by me, right? I'm this horrible guy uh, that's coordinating all of this. And all these Australian uh, institutions or businesses, as as well as other businesses, reputable businesses around the world, they're all dealing with me. Well, one of the reasons that a lot of these reputable institutions are dealing with me is because I'm not this horrible bank that they're making me out to be. If I really was this bad, all these other companies would not be doing business with me. But the purpose of this whole report was to show that if all these good uh, companies will work with such a bad company like mine, We need more regulation on these companies. Obviously, we don't have enough regulation if the regulations haven't prevented them from dealing with Peter Schiff at Europe Pacific Bank. And so they planted this story. They got their buddy in the media uh, to do a hit job on me to just basically, you know, fill the airways in Australia with lies and the print media with lies in order to get the public and other politicians willing to accept bigger government, right? And now 
uh, Australians are going to have more government and they're going to have less freedom, less liberty. They're going to have to pay higher taxes and deal with bigger regulations, all because of a manufactured crisis. That's what government does. They light a fire and then they say, oh, we need to put it out. Right? And they always have to put it out with bigger government. So I think this really is a huge political scandal. And if I was in Australia, I would be outraged at this is what my government, your own government, your own elected officials are basically conning you. They're scamming you. They're telling you a lie. They're giving you fake information, pretending it's real. And then they're using that uh, to get you to accept bigger government, more regulations. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Now, you know, there's got to be some politicians in Australia who are not corrupt, who might be outraised at these tactics. And I'm sure it's not the whole of the Australian government. You probably just have, you know, one or two people there working with this guy. And of course, this reporter, I mean, he has no business even being a reporter, right? If, if what I'm saying is true, and certainly he has no regard for the truth, he had no problem defaming me. So I wouldn't put it past him uh, that he's working with somebody in, in, in the government. Otherwise, why would he do this? I mean, after he had so much information uh, that his whole story was a bunch of nonsense, he, he, he went forward with it anyway. Of course, he doesn't even care, you know, how this affects me, how this affects my business partners, my employees, my customers, you know, my reputation. He couldn't care less about that. He's got his own political agenda and, you know, he's willing to sacrifice me. In fact, most of this uh, story is about me. In fact, I think they, they saw an opportunity because of who I am and who my father was. It's like, oh my God, his father was a tax protester. His father went to jail for not paying income taxes. He advocates you know, for small government. He, he, he talks against the income tax. Oh, well, let's, let's make him the poster boy. Obviously, he's the one that's helping all the people in Australia evade their income taxes, right? He's the perfect guy. He's running this bank. Oh, he lives in Puerto Rico. His bank's in Puerto Rico. And, and so to me, it seemed like they thought they had all the pieces to turn me into this big villain. The only problem was there isn't a shred of truth, a kernel of truth to their story. The whole thing is a bunch of BS. And as I said, I don't really want to get into debunking the story here because I have thoroughly debunked it on the YouTube video that I've already produced. So again, I want to encourage everybody to watch that YouTube video as soon as it comes out, maybe even a second time, share it. But this thing needs to go viral in Australia. The Australians need to wake up, right? I mean, I'm trying to save Australia, right? They tried to make me the biggest villain in Australia. I want to be the biggest hero, right? I want to save Australia 
from having to be conned by their own government, duped with fake news, into accepting more intrusions into their freedoms and liberties, more regulations that are simply going to lay the foundation for even higher taxes. So hopefully this whole plan is going to backfire because I've exposed it. Hopefully there can be more political pressure put on uh, other legislatures. Maybe some other media sources could come out and try to do some real investigative journalism to blow up what I don't think is just a journalistic scandal, but a political scandal, and put a stop to this. So maybe instead of vilifying me, maybe one day uh, they'll build a statue for me in in Australia somewhere, maybe name a street after me or something, because I think I am striking a blow for Australian liberty. You know, it's not just about trying to restore my own reputation uh, that this article is tarnishing, right? But I want to preserve the current level of freedom that exists in Australia. In fact, maybe pave the way for even more, maybe shine a light of truth on the, the politicians that are behind this and on the media uh, that is uh, knowingly perpetuating fake news and masquerading it, you know, dressing it up as if it was a legitimate news story. This is not real news. Nick McKenzie is not acting as a reporter. Reporters are trying to seek the truth. He's trying to cover up the truth. He is really trying to advance a hidden political agenda And so to do that, he has to cover up the truth. What I'm doing is exposing it for not only Australians, but for the world. I've teamed up with Raycon, and while this promotion is running, they are offering you a 15% discount at buyraycon.com slash gold. Raycon earbuds are great. I got them in the mail, I forget, a couple months ago. Put these things on. They sounded great. They sound just as good as the much more expensive earbuds that I had already purchased earlier. I had uh, my son do a test with me too. He loved them. In fact, once he started using them, I had a hard time keeping them away from him. And, you know, he's only seven. So if a seven-year-old can figure out how to use these things, well, then anybody should be able to do it. Now, unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. The company was co-founded by Ray J. Celebrities like Snoop Dogg, J.R. Smith, Mike Tyson are obsessed with Raycons, so give them a try yourself. Raycon has a 45-day free return policy, so you can make sure these Raycon earbuds are just as good as I'm telling you they are, or you can get a full refund. Raycon's newest model is the Everyday E25 earbuds. They're the best ones yet. They've got six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing. They've got more bass and a compact design and noise isolation. For a limited time, you can get a 15% discount on your order at buyraycon.com slash gold. That's buyraycon.com slash gold to get a special 15% discount on Raycon wireless earbuds. Make sure to check it out now while the deal's running. Buyraycon.com slash gold. Now, I think the uh, big story today is Bitcoin. And in fact, before I actually start talking about why Bitcoin is in the news and why the price is now above 13000 per Bitcoin as I am recording, I want to circle back to uh, the story about my being a, a tax evader, uh, money launderer, all the bad 
uh, allegations in this fake news story. What's really pissing me off about it is all of the coverage that the Bitcoin community is, is giving to this. I mean, they are basically legitimizing the fake news. They are buying it hook, line, and sinker. So almost all the other negative articles that I'm reading online, and there's a ton of them, they're all Bitcoin publications. And as far as they're concerned, this is great news, right? This is vindication. They are cheering. Now, not everybody, but most of them, they couldn't be happier about this. I mean, they are hoping and praying that it's all true because they think somehow bad news for me is good news for Bitcoin. And this is ridiculous. People trying to spin this into a Bitcoin story, right? Oh, Peter Schiff's a bad guy. He's laundering money. Aha, you see, he just should have bought Bitcoin. If he was only into Bitcoin, right, he wouldn't be in trouble. And of course, he's a bad guy. That's why he doesn't like Bitcoin. Look, I would say this. Anybody in the Bitcoin community who is now rooting for my failure, who is happy uh, that this hatchet job has been done and who is trying to lend it credibility by acting as if it's real news, and they're also trying to convict me of a crime that not only did it I commit, but a crime that I haven't even been charged with, because there isn't even any evidence to bring charges, let alone for some kind of jury to convict me. Uh, but uh, the Bitcoiners have already done that, right? They've, they, they've tried and convicted me. And I think the people in the Bitcoin community that are jumping to this conclusion, they're not true Bitcoiners. They don't really believe in Bitcoin. You see, if you actually philosophically believe in Bitcoin, you don't hate me. You like me, right? I mean, I am exposing all of the reasons that people should not want to be in fiat currencies. I'm exposing all the problems that if you believe Bitcoin is the answer to those problems, then you're on my same team of understanding those problems. And People aren't going to buy Bitcoin unless they also are convinced that there's a reason to get out of fiat currencies. I am creating those reasons. Now, I'm not saying that they should get into Bitcoin, but I am suggesting they should get out of dollars or get out of their euros or get out of their yen. And so that I'm halfway there. I'm bringing your Bitcoin people halfway to where they want to be. I'm just not bringing them all the way there because I think buying Bitcoin's a mistake. I think they should buy gold instead. But true Bitcoin believers are on my side and they're not rooting for me to fail. And they don't care that I'm not buying Bitcoin because if Bitcoin's going to ultimately succeed, whether I buy in it or not is immaterial. Bitcoin is going to succeed or fail regardless of what I do. So if you are just in it for the long run and you're just going to buy and hodl forever, it shouldn't make a difference to you what I say or what I do. But if your real goal is to dump your Bitcoin, if you really don't believe in it, if you're just a pump and dumper, if you're just trying to get the price as high as possible now so you can sell your Bitcoin, then you don't like what I'm saying because I'm interfering with your pump, making it harder for you to dump. So I think the people in the Bitcoin community that don't like me, it's because they want to get rid of their Bitcoin and I'm making it harder, right? Because I am not encouraging people to get into the market so they can get out. So I'm delaying their payday. So I think that's why they're celebrating because they think, hey, maybe if they lock Peter Schiff up, then he'll stop talking negatively about Bitcoin and then the price will go up and we can sell ours. So this is really where, you know, you can see uh, who's a real Bitcoin supporter who philosophically is on your team 
and someone who's just trying to make a quick buck at your expense. So all those people out there that have been vilifying me and celebrating what they believe is my demise, they've shown their hand now. We know who those people are, and so avoid them, right? Uh, because they're not your friends if you're, if you're in Bitcoin. But let me uh, move forward to the topic of $13,000 Bitcoin and what has driven the market to this level. But remember, even though we're above 13000 and this is, I think, the highest we've been this year, we're still not above the high from 2019. We almost got to 14000 not quite, I think, close to 13900 in 2019. And of course, we were near 20000 uh, in, I think, late 2017, right, when we had that big move up in Bitcoin. And so we're nowhere near there, right? But we are at the highest level we've been at in some time. And the real catalyst for this, and it's not me, right? It's not Peter Schiff potentially going to jail for being a money launderer and tax evader. Uh, I don't think that's why people are buying Bitcoin. Uh, the, the real reason is because of the announcement from PayPal, and obviously, uh, the rally started even before the news came out because I'm sure people knew that this was coming. And so they front ran the news uh, and got ahead of the people who didn't buy until the news came out. The question is, when is the selling going to commence? Because some of the people who bought on the rumor should be selling on the news. But the news is that PayPal is going to incorporate Bitcoin onto their platform. Now, the implication here, what a lot of people are going to be thinking of, oh, wow, this means that Bitcoin can be used as money. People can buy stuff and use Bitcoin. That's not what's going to happen. And that's quite clear. What PayPal is going to do is basically allow you to hold on to Bitcoin in the equivalent of a wallet, right? Instead of holding dollars in your PayPal wallet, if you want, you can hold Bitcoin instead or in addition to your dollars. But there's a big difference. While you can spend your dollars to buy stuff, you can't spend your Bitcoin to buy anything. All you can do is sell your Bitcoin and then use the dollar proceeds to buy something. So a merchant who is working with a customer who is paying in PayPal is not being paid in Bitcoin. They're being paid in dollars. So really, uh, PayPal is just making it easier for people who want to own Bitcoin to own Bitcoin in the same wallet where they have their dollars in their PayPal account. Now, the idea, or I think the speculation is, by being on the PayPal platform, all of a sudden there's going to be a lot of people who have PayPal accounts who are just going to start buying Bitcoin. I doubt it. I mean, is it possible that there could be a few PayPal customers who never bought Bitcoin before and maybe will give it a try because they could do it on PayPal? Maybe. But I think that's going to be minimal. I don't think there's a lot of people who have PayPal accounts who are Bitcoin fans, you know, who want to buy Bitcoin, but who haven't bought it because they couldn't do it in their PayPal account, right? I think that they've already bought. And to the extent that Bitcoiners prefer to use a PayPal wallet rather than a different wallet, then maybe PayPal will just end up being a competitor and maybe people who already own Bitcoin will keep their Bitcoin in their PayPal account rather than some other account. But I really don't see this ushering in a whole new uh, demand because I don't think that people who are using PayPal to pay bills 
necessarily want to turn their PayPal account into a speculative cryptocurrency trading account. Uh, because what happens if Bitcoin falls? And now the money that you were going to use to pay your bills, now you can't afford to pay your bills anymore because Bitcoin went down. I think that people who really want to buy Bitcoin have already bought it. They don't need it to be on PayPal. Is it more convenient for people who have a PayPal account uh, to, to buy their Bitcoin there if they're going to do it anyway? Sure. I don't think there's nearly as much stake to this sizzle. But yes, you know, it's another one of these events where people can just bet on the come. Aha, this is what's going to do it. This is what's going to bring Bitcoin into the mainstream. Just getting it on PayPal and it's going to work. No, it's no different what PayPal is doing. It's the same thing as BitPay. It's all a gimmick. You're not actually using your Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. Uh, You're just speculating with it. And if you want to buy something, well, you have to sell the Bitcoin to get the currency that the merchant actually wants. But, you know, one thing that I think this will do is it is going to drive up uh, PayPal's compliance costs and their AML costs. I mean, I mentioned this on the video that I recorded, but the reason that I don't do any business with crypto at my bank is because the compliance would be too rigorous because by definition, anybody who is using crypto has now waved a a red flag. It's considered high risk for money laundering. It doesn't mean that you're automatically guilty of money laundering because you're using crypto, but it means that you have a greater likelihood of money laundering. And again, tax evasion, you know, being defined as money laundering. And so we couldn't take that risk at the bank. So we turned down all of our crypto business. I know that gold money initially entered the crypto business and they allowed people who had gold money accounts right, where they own gold and silver, platinum, palladium, to also own uh, Bitcoin and Ether, uh, Bitcoin Cash. I just It was a handful of cryptocurrencies similar to what PayPal is doing now. So gold money tried to do that. And they stayed in the business for, I don't know, a year before they had to give it up. And the reason they had to give it up was because it was so expensive to do the compliance. They couldn't afford it anymore. Now, PayPal is obviously a much bigger company. They have much deeper pockets. Uh, than gold money. So maybe they can pull it off. I don't know. But to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or two, they end up giving up. They end up realizing that it's not worth uh, the cost, that the extra compliance cost of allowing Bitcoin on their platform is not worth whatever they earn in fees uh, from people trading Bitcoin. Well, we'll see. But what what I do believe is that this is not going to drive Bitcoin to new highs. I know that a lot of people are jumping on board now and they're getting excited. You know, it's the FOMO again. It's the fear of missing out. Uh, But it's the smart money that is taking advantage of this hype and maybe even help orchestrate the hype so that they can sell. So yes, you have a move up in Bitcoin. Do not look at it as some kind of breakout buying opportunity. As far as I'm concerned, it's another selling opportunity. What you really should be looking at is not Bitcoin, but gold. You know, the gold chart looks much better than the Bitcoin chart. The Bitcoin chart has lots of overhead resistance. The gold chart has lots of support beneath the market. Gold is still trading above 1900 that was the all-time high in order for bitcoin to do that it would have to be building a base above 20,000 we're not even close to doing that so gold has a great chart gold to me looks like the downside risk is minimal 
Whereas in Bitcoin, I think there is enormous downside risk, but you've got tremendous upside potential now that gold has taken out the record highs and is building a base. Right now, it's around 1925 uh, and looks like it's going much higher. And in fact, look at the U.S. dollar, U.S. dollar going much lower, a very weak technical day today. The dollar index down about a half a percent, back down below 93. We're trading at about 92.6. This is the weakest we've been in several weeks on the U.S. dollar index. In fact, over a month, not sure how many, but to me, it looks like we're rolling over. I do expect the dollar index to print new lows before the end of the year. In fact, I think the election could be a catalyst regardless of the outcome. You know, I still think that Biden is going to win, but even if Trump wins, I think the dollar is going to go down. I think gold is going to go up. And, you know, by the way, you know, I get a lot of emails from people uh, that I'm crazy, that Biden doesn't have a chance, that it's, uh, you know, it's going to be Trump. It's going to be Trump. Look, you know, the, the polls which showed Trump losing in 2016 were not that far off. Trump lost the popular vote. And in the states that he won, he didn't win by wide margins. And, and so he narrowly squeaked by in the Electoral College. This time, the polls show that he's an even bigger underdog than he was then. And I still believe that the closet Trump vote is not as large this time as it was then. Now, there are a lot of people that think it's even bigger, right? That think there are more Republicans who are not being counted in the polls uh, than before. And maybe that's the case. You know, I am not hoping for Trump to lose. I want him to win. I just don't think he's going to. I think the best shot is that the Republicans keep the Senate. But even then, I don't know how much faith I'm going to put in Republican senators. I guess, I mean, I guess it's something. It's what we can hope for. Uh, but if the Republicans lose the Senate and Trump somehow gets reelected, if Trump governs in his second term the same way he did in his first, it's going to be a massive spending and borrowing and printing fest. I mean, I know there are some people who are holding out hope that Donald Trump will govern differently in his second term than in his first, right? That the first term was just, you know, a down payment on getting the second term. So that all the stuff that he promised to deliver as president, he was waiting for his second term because, you know, all this stuff is politically unpopular. So Trump didn't want to do it while he still had an election in his future. So he was waiting for the second term. But I don't buy that. Right. Because I think if Trump really wanted to make America great again and really wanted to shrink government or end the Fed or, or, or do a lot of really good things that he hasn't done, he would have done it the first year in office when the Republicans had uh, the House and the Senate, when he had some political chips that he that he could spend. He squandered that opportunity. I mean, why hold off your best stuff on the hope that you get reelected? Because what if you don't get reelected? Then you squander your opportunity. You take the opportunity that you have. He had four years to make a difference, to say that, well, I'm going to wait and I'm going to do anything good during this opportunity I have. I'm just going to hold off to get reelected, and then I'm going to do all this good stuff and take the chance that you don't get reelected. That's not what he would have done. That's not what I would have done. I wouldn't have said, gee, if I do all this politically unpopular stuff, I may not get reelected. What I would have said is, oh, my God, I actually have an opportunity to do all the unpopular stuff that no career politician would dare do. I am going to seize that opportunity. Who gives a damn 
about getting reelected. I've got a once in a lifetime opportunity to make a difference and I'm going to make the most of that opportunity. I'm going to I'm going to make the biggest difference I can during these 4 years. If I get another 4 years great. If I don't, I'm going to give it my best shot during the 4 years I'm here. So I don't think uh the second Trump term if for some reason he manages to secure one is going to be any different. I think he's going to continue uh with big government, but I think that it will be worse under Biden, right? I just like I thought that Hillary Clinton uh, was going to be worse than Trump. I believe that um, Biden will be even worse than Trump. But I don't have the type of reserved optimism I had last time because we still didn't know for sure what Trump was going to do as president. Now we know because we've already seen him in action for four years. And so it's not the game changer that it potentially could have been because he's a big government guy. He wants to go big on stimulus. He wants more deficits. He wants more money printing. He wants negative interest rates. He wants QE infinity. What I mean, how is that going to make America great again? It's not. All we're going to do is destroy America at a, at a slightly slower pace than the rate at which it will be destroyed under, under Biden. And a final topic that I've actually gotten quite a few uh, emails about, and people have wanted me to comment because there's been these rumors circulating about a new Brenton Woods, right? Because the original Brenton Woods is what put the world on the dollar standard, right? Because before Brenton Woods, which happened after the Second World War, all the world's currencies were backed by gold and tied to gold at a fixed rate. And after Brenton Woods, instead of being tied to gold, uh, currencies were basically tied to the dollar. The dollar became the reserve, and the dollar was the one that was fixed to gold, right? If you had $35, then you had an ounce of gold. And so we were able to get the world to go off the gold standard and on the dollar standard with the understanding that the dollar was as good as gold because you can convert your dollars whenever you wanted at a fixed exchange rate into gold, but in the meantime, you could take those dollars, loan them to the U.S. government by buying treasuries and get paid interest. So you got your cake and you ate it too. You own gold, but you also got interest, which you would not get if you just held the physical bars yourself. But by allowing you know, the U.S. government to hold your gold, you were able to hold treasuries instead, get interest, but have your gold whenever you wanted, right? That was the deal. Of course, once we got the world to trust us, well, you know, we did what... Uh, John Belushi said uh, in Animal House, right? You screwed up. You trusted us. Well, the world screwed up. They trusted us. And, you know, we abused that privilege and we began printing too much money, more money than we had, gold back up. And, you know, some people got wise, right? And they started to turn in their dollars for gold at that $35 rate. And of course, we didn't have enough gold because we printed too much money. So eventually we would have lost all our gold if we didn't do something. And we did. We basically defaulted. We closed the gold window and we broke the commitment that we made to the world in the Bretton Woods Agreement. Now, the dollar went down a lot, no longer being backed by gold, but the world continued to use the dollar as the reserve, right? Just the way they decided in, in Bretton Woods, except it was no longer backed by gold. But there's a di big difference between a dollar backed by gold and a dollar backed by nothing. Because if you have a currency let's say it was the Deutschmark, 
and the Deutschmark is backed by the dollar, and then the dollar is backed by gold, well, you know, by definition, then uh, the Deutschmark was still backed by gold. It was just backed by gold through the dollar. So you have something real backing up the paper. But if the Deutschmark is backed by the dollar, but then the dollar is backed by nothing, well, then the Deutschmark is backed by nothing. So the whole monetary system really imploded when we went off the gold standard and the whole spirit of Brenton Woods died. But, you know, now they're talking about, oh, we need a new Brenton Woods. And I think we do. Uh, the world needs to go off the dollar standard completely and go back to the gold standard, which is the standard that existed prior to Brenton Woods. So the new Brenton Woods should undo Brenton Woods and go back to the monetary system that Brenton Woods replaced. But, you know, while people are getting excited about, you know, a Bretton Woods too, this is not to discuss going back on a gold standard, right? It, eventually that's going to happen. But right now, this is just a bunch of governments wanting to get together and figuring out how they're going to react to COVID, how they're going to react to uh, the growing debt and imbalances and things like that. But they are not convening a new Brenton Woods for the purpose of reorganizing the global monetary system or to somehow dethrone the dollar as the world's reserve currency. That's going to happen, right? And it's not going to be because of a planned effort on the part of governments. It's going to, it's going to be born out of chaos. There is going to be a crisis. The dollar is going to start to implode. Fla inflation is going to start to explode. Gold is going to go ballistic. It's going to be in that environment that uh, the world's governments, foreign countries are going to scramble uh, to find a new monetary system to replace the old system that is crumbling uh, beneath their feet.